Like Dave said, we are in a series called Be Heard, and last week we took a look at the very first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. And what we learned out of that very first phrase is that we have a father and not a force. That we have a person that wants us to be related to and not a power. And we looked at four qualities of, of, of the fatherhood of God. We looked at that he was a caring God, that he was a consistent God, that he was a close God, and that he is a capable of God. It is very important that you and I understand that first phrase as Jesus kind of teed it up for us there about the fatherhood of God because it really does affect everything else that we're gonna talk about in the weeks to follow. Today we're gonna take a look at the second phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now the most difficult types of stress that we have in our life are those stressful things that we have no control over. If you and I could change those unchangeable things that are in our lives that produce this kind of stress within us, well, then guess what? We really wouldn't have stress, would we? We, we would just change them. But if we can't and they're unchangeable, well, that's a different situation. The reality of life is that there's lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff that is way beyond our means of controlling. I categorize these in three different areas. You might write this first one down, and that is this. We, there are uncontrollable circumstances. That's an unchangeable stress, isn't it? And it can be, sim it can be as simple and mundane as being stuck in traffic. One of the things that raises my blood pressure is paying money to get on the toll road and I'm using it as a parking lot. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's simple, it's mundane, but mercy alive. And, I, and Cheryl says, George, there's nothing you can do about it. Just chill. Well, if I was in control of things, okay. But sometimes these uncontrollable circumstances are more serious, aren't they? Cancer, or you have a terminal illness or um, you get laid off from work, or you have a special needs child. Folks, those are uncontrollable circumstances. The second category of things is, is what I call uncooperative people, and we all have some in our families, don't we? If you can't think of who they are, you're it, okay? And whatever you do, don't look at them right now. Just give them an elbow like this, okay? These are people that are one fry short of a happy meal, okay? The lights are on and no one is home, okay? They don't know and get with the program. And God says, hey, I've placed them in your life for a purpose. And as nice as you are, guess what? They don't change. They are mean and cranky all the time. The third category is what I call unexplainable pain. And unexplainable pain is pain that doesn't make any sense. There is no rhyme or reason to it. It kind of comes out of the blue, okay? There's no rhyme or reason. There's no purpose behind it. It causes you to scratch your head and ask the question, why me, why this, and why now? Folks, these kinds of things happen in our life all the time. Uncontrollable circumstances, uncooperative people, unexplainable 
pain, where you and I can't do anything about them? What's the answer? Surrender. Surrender. This is what the second phrase of the Lord's Prayer is all about. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can tell you this, most people are clueless. They don't have an earthly idea of what this phrase is all about. Before we get into it and truly understand what Jesus is driving at here, with that, that little phrase, your, your kingdom come, your will be done, okay? I want to raise the question, what is God's kingdom? Well, first let me tell you what God's kingdom is not. God's kingdom is not a political entity. It is not the religious right. It is not a national entity. It is not a governmental entity. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Truly, history is his story. His plan is eternal. It is universal. His kingdom is not governmental. Secondly, it is not a matter of talking, but rather of power. Meaning that it is not confessional. It is not conceptual. It is not creedal. It's not something that you and I talk about. Rather, it is something that you do. It is transformational. It is experiential. It's God's work in you. It's God's work in the world. The third thing that it is not is that it is not a matter of what you eat or drink. It's not material. It is living right with God and having a life of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is about connecting with God and it is about connecting with others. It is about, it is spiritual, it is relational. It is living right with God and it is living in joy and peace with others. In our terminology for this year, it's simply this, it's the year of love. Loving God, connecting with God and loving others, connecting with others and then loving our community at large. Now you may be sitting here and you say, okay, George, you've answered what the kingdom of God is not. Well, then what is the kingdom of God? It's simply this, wherever Jesus is king. If, if he is king in your heart, then the kingdom of God is in you. If he is king on earth, then the kingdom of God is on earth. If he is king in heaven, he, the kingdom of God is in heaven. The Bible uses all three of those phrases. The kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God is on earth. The kingdom of God is, on, is in heaven. And so when you and I pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that prayer because guess what, folks? God isn't on earth. Jesus isn't here on earth. And so a lot of times his will doesn't get done. Someday he will. And I can't wait till we get to the end of the Lord's prayer, okay? Your king, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You do not want to miss the last one because it's, in my opinion, the best phrase of all of them. 
But a lot of times, bad things happen on this side of eternity, and God gets the blame for it, okay? There's a tornado that lives are taken, or there's a tsunami where more lives are taken, or there's some earthquake where hundreds, maybe even thousands of people are buried under rubble that lose their life, and people will use this phrase, well, it must have been God's will. You gotta be kidding me. You're blaming this on God? God's will is not evil. God's will is not bad. God's will is peace and joy. It is blessings and prosperity. God's will isn't someone making a bad decision. Guess whose will that is? That's my will. And that is why we pray this this part of the prayer. Your, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's because God's will isn't always done on earth. Now that phrase is what I call the prayer of letting go. It's the prayer of coming to God and saying, God, I wanna acknowledge something right now. With these uncontrollable circumstances, with these uncooperative people, with this unexplainable pain, God, I want you to know something, you're in charge. God, you're in charge. And I'm gonna let go of these things and I'm gonna give them to you. So when you pray this prayer, in essence, what you are praying, what you are doing is that you are surrendering to Jesus. And to surrender to Jesus means four things. The first one is this. When you surrender to Jesus, it means you're letting go of control. Folks, every day you and I wake up, you and I have to make a decision about who is going to be in control. You or God. There are Bible verses that you know that God brings to the forefront of your mind, maybe even from my messages, okay, that you don't like. Or there are rules that you don't wanna keep. Or there are lifestyle choices that you know that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do, but you feel uncomfortable doing them. In other words, what I am saying is that in as you and I walk through life, there is a desire within us that is raging against God. We wanna be in control. I don't want to practice this lifestyle. I feel uncomfortable in doing so. I don't wanna practice those rules. I don't wanna to obey this verse. And I say this, if you wanna lessen the stress in your life, that's when you have to pray the prayer, God, I'm letting go, or yeah, I'm letting go and letting God. Take a look at Psalms 46, verse 10. Let go and know that I am God. I rule the nations, I rule the earth. God says, I'm in control, and you need to let go, and you need to know. We need to know what? We need to know that we have a good father who is caring, that is close, that is consistent, that is capable. We need to know that God is in control. Now, there's a translation of this verse that maybe you are more familiar with. It says, be still and know that I am God. Remember that translation? The phrase, be still in the Hebrew, literally means let go, relax, lighten up, calm down. 
Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. Well, I have some idea. Be honest, it's been floating my boat praying for our church with those cards that you gave me. Honestly, I love it. And I'm just, man, God, this is really specific. And I'm just in prayer for you in these next 40 days of what you've written down. I love it. But honestly, folks, I don't know what's going to happen next week in your world. But I can tell you in advance right now that whatever you come in, into, circumstances, people, pain, whatever, I can tell you this, that you need to let go and know. Truly the first step of peace in your life when you face circumstances that are beyond your control is to let go and know that you have a heavenly father. You see, when people face uncontrollable circumstances in their life, you and I will react in one of two different ways. There are those who face uncontrollable circumstances and what they will do is they will seek to control things even more. You know those kind of persons? Don't look at them right now, okay? They grab the bull by the horns and I'm gonna manage this. I'm gonna make this work. I'm gonna work these things out. I'm gonna make this marriage work. I'm gonna make my kids behave. What I have found in almost 40 years of ministry is simply this, that the more insecure a person is, the more they seek to control it all. This is one extreme. The other extreme is just the opposite. They just give up. They move to despair. They have a pity party. They become a martyr. They swallow and wallow in the mire. They eat worms. Those are the two extremes. Those will take the bull by the horns and I'm just gonna manage this thing. I don't care if it kills me, okay? Then there's a <laughs> Both of them are foolish. Instead, what you and I need to do is we need to go into prayer. We need to pray the prayer of letting go. Now, the truth of the matter is this. We don't like to let go, do we? The truth of the matter is, we don't like to surrender because we think if we raise our white flag and we surrender that we've got a big L on our forehead. Loser, I'm a loser. I'm a loser. I, I've lost, I'm a failure. I'm no good. But folks, truly with things that are out of our control, people, circumstances, pain, that's the very thing that we need to do. The number one reason why, why we are under distress is because we are in conflict with God. And let me explain this. We're trying to control the uncontrollable. We're trying to control our spouses, our kids, the, our jobs, the economy, uh, you name it. We're trying to control it. And the more we try to control it, guess what we're trying to be? God. God comes along and he says, there's only one of me and I'm it and you aren't. And so we then enter into a conflict with him. What do you do? You pray the prayer of letting go. God, you are God and I am not. And I know that you're a good God, that you're my heavenly father. You're, you care, you're close, you're consistent. You see how this ties in? 
Now, some people pray a prayer uh, in recovery groups called the serenity prayer. Have you ever heard that prayer before? And by the way, let me stop here. We're all in recovery. <laughs> you want to know why? Because we've all been hurt, haven't we? We've all had something come into our life that, that has hurt us, something or some person. And so in essence, we are all in recovery. But people who are in recovery groups oftentimes pray the first part of the serenity prayer. You may have heard of it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things that can and the wisdom to know the difference. But they don't finish it. The rest of the prayer, I think, is where the power is at. Let me, let me finish the prayer. Living one day at a time, and Jesus taught that. Enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if, and here's the kicker, if I surrender to your will so that, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. I love the last part because that's where the power is at. Now, what was this founded upon? The guy who wrote this was a Christian. It's founded on Romans 8, verse 6. It says this, if a person's thinking is controlled by his sinful self, then there is death, and that's not pretty. But if, there, but if his thinking is controlled by the Spirit, then there is life and peace. So step number one is letting go of control. The second thing it means to surrender to Jesus is simply this, learning to be content. That no matter what happens in my life that is beyond my control, learning to be content is a key. Now, obviously, there are things that are within our control. In fact, a lot of times you'll see God even tell people, hey, what are you praying about this? I give you a mind, work it out, okay? You can do this, okay? And so for those things, we need to do that. But there's a lot of stuff that is beyond our control. What do you do then? Well, folks, there's a, there's a number of things that we can do. We could worry about it, couldn't we? Does that work? No, it doesn't work. We could be resentful and be bitter about them. Does that work? I don't think so. We could, we could throw ourselves a pity party. Does that work? No, it doesn't. We could feel guilt and resentment and, and, and be regretful about them. Does that work? I don't think so. We could be fearful about it. That's what we need to do, be just in fear, be scared. Does that work? No. Folks, we can do all of those things, but they don't work. The only thing that works is acceptance and learning to be content. And Paul understood this. In Philippians chapter four, in verses 11 through 13, he said this, I have learned to be satisfied with the things I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I am poor and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the secret of being happy. That word there would be content. At any time in everything that happens, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. When Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome. 
This is when he said, hey, I can do, uh, uh, this is when he says, I've learned to be content in every situation of life. (laughs) I've had a lot, or I've had a lot, and I've had nothing, okay? And I've learned to be content in that. He was chained to soldiers in a dark, dingy dungeon when he said that. I want you to notice three things out of this portion of scripture. First, circle the word learned. Contentment is learned. Meaning that by nature, folks, we are not content. It is something that we have to learn. And so what Paul is really driving at is this, that contentment is a mark of maturity. Immature people are never content with anything, okay? But contentment is a mark of maturity. It is a mark of spiritual and emotional maturity. Secondly, it is a choice. You can choose to learn contentment or you can choose not to learn to be content. The third thing that he's stressing here, and will you circle the phrase, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. A lot of times people misquote that verse, okay? I think I'm gonna be a rock star. And I've had those images and dreams in my life, you know, I can do all things in Christ. Guess what? I don't care what I try to do. I will never become a rock star, okay? It just isn't a part of my shape, how God has made me. Oftentimes, people don't understand this verse. This verse and that part is in the context of contentment. Now, why do I bring that up? It's because one of the problems that we have in learning contentment is that we want to learn it our way, don't we? We do. And we want to learn it our way, in our own strength, primarily by getting answers or an answer to the question, why? Why did this happen? Folks, there are some things that you and I will never get an answer for on this side of eternity, never. And you and I, in our strength, can try to learn to be content by pursuing that question or the answer to that question, why? And it isn't gonna do anything for us. It's just gonna stir the pot and make it even worse. You see, why is it that God doesn't tell us the why oftentimes? It's because he's testing you and I. He's testing you and I to see if we will let go of control. He's testing you and I to see if we will learn to be content. And to be really honest with you, even if we got an answer to the why, it ain't gonna gonna change anything. Remember, God's kingdom is universal. History is his story. If he told you and I the reason why whatever happened in your life happened, A through Z, it'd be way beyond you. It'd be way beyond me. But I think more importantly than that, it doesn't take away our pain. After four months of treatments and procedures, the doctor finally says, I know what the problem is. And I get, oh, I feel so much better now. Not. It didn't take away my pain. Why? Because explanations of why things happen don't bring comfort. Folks, there's a lot of things that you and I aren't gonna understand. And so God uses them as a test. 
I bet you you can remember when you were going through school. I don't care whether it was elementary school, high school, college, or grad school. I went through all those things. What I observed when I went through school was that the only time that the classroom was quiet was during a test. Isn't that right? Here's the point. When God is silent in your life, it's a test. Are you gonna let go of control? Are you gonna learn to be content? When you don't hear God speaking from heaven, it's a test. Will I let go and let God, and will I learn to be content? You see, what you and I need when we are facing circumstances that bring pain into our lives, folks, we need to fall back on the very first verse of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, he is a good Father. Everything is Father-filtered. Not everything is caused by God, but everything is Father-filtered, and he cares, and he's close, and he's consistent, and he is capable. Take a look at this verse in Psalms 37, verse seven. Surrender yourself to the Lord and wait patiently for him. Folks, that's what we need to do. So let me ask you this question. What are you angry with God about? Because he hasn't given you an explanation for how God made you. Why did God make me this way? The parents you have, they are so stupid. Heard that one. Are you angry and disappointed because of your marriage? I said yes to this. Are you, are you angry because you're still single? Are you angry because your business failed? Folks, it's our lack of contentment that robs us of peace. And what we need to do is we need to learn to accept and we need to learn to be content. I've got to let go and let God have control. And I've got to learn to be content. The third thing that this phrase means in surrendering to Jesus is simply this, laying down my plans. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that my plans very seldom come off the way I would like them to come off, okay? I find that my problems frequently get in the way of my plans. And when they do, I think, how inconvenient is that, okay? And yet, IAS exists. It's a reality of life. You sit here and you say, well, Pastor George, what is IAS? IAS stands for it's always something. Isn't that right? It's always something. I don't care what it is, it's always something. You're gonna plan something out and then something happens. It's always something. IAS is a reality of life. You have plans, but guess what? You also have problems. Problems I think of like a plane. We see the problem on the horizon and we have to navigate that plane or those problems down to a safe place on the ground. And no sooner than we get this problem solved, we see another problem on the horizon, okay? And we gotta navigate that thing down to where it lands safely on the ground and on and on and on and on it goes. 
A lot of times when this happens in my relational world with my wife, my wife will say, George, why do all these problems happen? And I look at them and I say, do you want a theological four-point outline on this? Or do you just want me to listen to you complain and put my arm around you and say, I'm so sorry. I've been married 42 years. The last one is what they want, okay? What is this called? It's called life. It's called marriage. It's called raising toddlers. It's called raising teenagers. It's called the economy. It's called work. It's called our HOA. Folks, it's called life. I used to think that life was defined as a series of problems, that, that, um, that, that you were either in one now, you were either leaving one, or you were heading towards the next one. But I have come to the conclusion that life is not a series of problems. Rather, life are two parallel tracks. One is good and the other one is bad and they both coexist. One is good. There are a lot of good things going on even when there are problems in our lives. But it's the problems that mess us over. Why is that the case? Let me give you three theological points. One is this, very quickly. You and I sometimes make bad choices with our time, our talent, and our treasures. Number two, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, and he wants to mess up your plans, no doubt about it. And number three, we just live in an imperfect world, meaning everything in our world is broken. The weather's broken. The economy's broken. Your relationships are broken. Your emotions, your mental state is broken. Folks, it's all broken. And so sometimes, as a result... It's really no one's fault. This happened in Jesus's ministry one time. These guys brought a blind man to him and says, Jesus, we wanna ask you and we want you to answer this question. Why is this blind man blind? Was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? You see, they used to think that way. And still today, a lot of people, well, something happened, it's gotta be someone's fault. There's no more nothing else than maybe we just live in a broken world. Things are broken. Our bodies are broken. And Jesus said this to them, neither. This has happened so that God's work is displayed. And I want you to listen very, very closely. Whatever problem you are in right now, God wants to display his work in your life. Whatever's gonna come at you next week, God is going to want to display his work in you and through you. You're gonna have problems, but are you going to allow God to display his work in you and through you? Well, Pastor George, what is that work? Well, the thing that God really wants to do in you, what he really wants to teach you is this, love. That's why we're in this year of love, folks. We're gonna go back and we're gonna learn how to love God, how to love others, and how to love our community. 
Life is all about love. It is learning to get out of ourselves where we love God and we love other people. And so what God does is he sends problems. He allows problems to come into our life as a test. And he gives you and I a certain amount of time and talent and treasures to see, are we gonna use those in the problems that we have for ourselves and live selfish little clod-like lives? Or are we going to live for him? Are we going to be selfish or are we gonna lay down our life for God and other people? You see, what does it mean to lay down your life? Folks, it just simply means that you use your time, your talents, and your treasures for God and other people. This truly is what life is all about. Take a look at 1 John 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. I wanna ask you this, are you doing that for anybody right now? Laying down your life? Jesus did for you. He says, if I did it for you and I've modeled it, I want you to do the same for other people. It's how you offer yourself to God. It's how you begin to fulfill the purpose that God has for your life. Take a look at Romans 6, verse 13. Give yourselves to God. Surrender your whole being to him to be used for righteous purposes. Folks, that's what it means to lay down your life. It means to live a purpose-driven life, to live it for God and to live it for others, learning to love God and learning to love other people. What happens when you and I do something like that? Well, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon that was ever preached, okay, in Matthew 6, said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. He says, if you will make my kingdom your primary concern in life, loving me and loving other people, I will bless your socks off you. You see, how do you and I make the kingdom of God our primary concern? Folks, it's as we care about what God cares for. And what does God care for? Well, I can guarantee you this. He doesn't care about the Super Bowl, okay? And he doesn't care about the commercials that are gonna come on that we will be glued to our TV watching, okay? Which I think is great, by the way. But he doesn't care about those things. He hasn't chosen a team. He knows who's gonna win. But he hasn't chosen a team because he didn't care about those things. What he cares about isn't fortune either or, or fame. What he cares about are people. He cares about you and he cares about me. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God is about. And so I lay down my life and I serve God by serving other people. I love God by loving other people. There is a fourth thing about what this phrase means. And it is simply this, by leaving the future to God. If you really want to have a peace that passes all understanding with uncontrollable things, un uncooperative people, unexplained pain, 
then you need to let go of control. You need to learn to be content. You need to lay down your life or lay down your plans. And then lastly, you need to leave the future to God. Meaning that you need to live, you and I need to live one day at a time, maybe even one moment at a time and trust God with the results. Proverbs 3, 3 through uh, 6 or 5 through 6 is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What does it mean that God will make your path straight? It means that even with uncontrollable things going on all around you, he will keep you headed on the right path. He will keep you from going the wrong way. He will keep you from burning yourself out and stressing yourself out with so many things that are way beyond your control. If you trust, if you uh, lean not on your own understanding, and if you acknowledge him. What does that last phrase mean? It means that you talk to him. You acknowledge him. God, you're God, and you're my father. And God, I honestly, God, I want to be honest with you. I don't like the circumstances that have come up. I don't like the fact that I'm stuck 20 minutes on a freeway that I paid, I don't know, four bucks to use as a parking lot. God, it just burns my bottom, okay? There are better things that I can do. But you know, recently I gave that to God. And as I did, you know what God told me? He said, George, there are audio books that you can use. Great idea, God. It's as you and I acknowledge and as we pray, I hope you go out there and get those prayer requests. I hope you get on the text because folks, this is how we begin to surrender our life to Jesus and see our stress go down. Now, do you want to have a stressless life where you feel more connected to God? If you do, you have a decision to make. Are you gonna do what you think is right or are you gonna obey God? Because God's placed his spirit in you and you know when he's telling you to do something. You feel it, you feel the tension when you don't want, okay? But God says this, if you will, if you'll obey me, I'll take care of you. Take a look at Psalms 37, verse 18 and 19. The Lord takes care of those who obey him and gives them eternal rewards that last forever. They will survive through hard times and will have more than enough even in a time of famine. God says, I'll take care of you. So the question that remains is this, what area of your life have you not surrendered to Jesus. You've surrendered the kitchen. All right. You've surrendered the living room or the family room. Have you surrendered your closet? Have better yet, guys, have you surrendered your garage? It's my man cave. Cheryl came out a couple weeks ago. I think you need to put the pictures over here. My cave. You see, some of us here have not surrendered certain areas of our life to him. 
Some of us have not surrendered our sex lives to him. We know that sex is wrong outside of marriage. When we do, it just brings complexity into our life. We know that, okay? But we've determined, guess what? I'm gonna do whatever I think is best. Some of us haven't surrendered our finances to God. Me give, me share, me give to God and sacrifice my lifestyle? You gotta be kidding me. Some of us haven't surrendered our hurts to God. I know I should forgive this person, but I don't want to. Some of us have secret areas in our life that we derive sick comfort from. We don't want to let it go, even though it's sick. You see, what area in your life have you not surrendered to God? I want you to think about that question. And I want you to think about that in light that we have a good father. And I want you to listen to this song, the first stanza and the first chorus of it. And I want you to say, God, I know you're a good father. I wanna let it go. I wanna surrender my life to you, Jesus. I want to surrender this aspect to you. Let's listen to this. God has called you and that you are here today not by accident that God wants to make a breakthrough in your life will you surrender it to God aren't you tired of being at war with God I would think so I am so glad that 40 some years ago I said yes Jesus Christ you are my Lord and Savior and I'm surrendering my life to you. And ever since then, life has been grand, to be honest. But there have been moments that I said, no, God, I want this to myself. God has worked. He said, George, surrender. As we close, I want us to close in singing this song. I want us to rise. And we're going to sing this song as a prayer to God. And when you have felt like the Spirit has really moved in your life, where you recognize that God is a good Father, that He cares about you, that He loves you, 
that he's consistent, that he is capable to work in the very area that you are struggling in with right now. Will you just raise your flag and wave and say, God, this is my outward sign. I'm surrendering my life to you. I want to be at peace. Let's go ahead, Mike. Let's sing. Let's stand. Let's sing this song as a prayer unto him.
So as you're traveling and you get stuck on the toll road, you can know who's in control. We'll see you next week. Let's go out and be God's people.